Welcome to Education Beat. I'm Ann Vasquez, CEO of EdSource. We're about to see a big expansion of music and arts education in California. For the first time in decades, schools have a guaranteed funding stream for it. This year, about a billion dollars. Some estimates show we may need about 15,000 new arts teachers to make this expansion work. So schools are looking for people who are passionate about the arts and also about teaching. One person with both of those passions is Guillermo Tejeda. One of the more meaningful ways for me to employ my music teaching is to create a more social, emotional learning driven approach. How can California recruit more arts teachers in the classroom? Here is this week's Education Beat with host Zadie Stabley. Guillermo Tejeda first took up the guitar when he was six years old in East L.A. He learned to strum chords for mariachi songs from his grandfather, a migrant farm worker whose hands were gnarled from picking in the fields. His fingers looked like wood, like when he would press on the chords and, and express the, the chord on the fret of the guitar. And you would hear like the creaking of the wood and the strings up against the wood and the way his fingers looked. I would just like be fascinated by like, oh, my God, like his hands are like wood. And Guillermo's grandpa also inspired him to do well in school. I remember one time when I when I was in school, I had like really bad grades once and he, he had a serious conversation with me. He's like, I want you to hold my hands. And he was like tearing up. We hold my hands right now. And do you see how they feel? I work really hard. And I want you to work really hard in school and to read and to write. Because if, my, if your hands feel like mine when you're my age, then I didn't do my job. Those two passions, music and education, continue to move Guillermo today. He's a jazz musician and a member of a group called the Neighborhood Orchestra Collective. Hey, yo. Welcome on to the breakfast table. This is the Neighborhood Orchestra Collective. Get your cafecito ready. Get your conflés. Your pan dulce. Your huevo con weenie. Pull up. It's all good. Let's do this. But Guillermo is also a teacher. He likes to tell a story about how as a substitute, whenever he would visit a new school, he would make sure to hunt for the piano, wherever it was in an old closet or in a corner of the cafeteria. More so than not, I find a piano that's out of tune, that's dusty, it's not being used. And I find like, you know, I, I sit there and before I even talk to the principal or meet the kids, I have a moment with the piano because I feel like that piano has been sitting there for a long time. And it's been there with the walls and the texture and the air and the feeling of the school. And I want to connect with that. When a piano was that dusty, Guillermo knew the students hadn't been getting much music education. As a teacher, he makes it a point to bring music into everything he does. I'd always bring my guitar, and whether it was a math lesson or an English lesson or science or whatever it was, I'd always try to incorporate a musical component to the lesson. Whether it be me coming in with a rhyme or me just playing some light guitar while the students are doing in, uh, independent work. Also, too, like just I, I often end up using musical terminology or musical theory in terms of math or even science, just they end up almost seamlessly in the conversation often because it's what I'm often thinking about. But it also allows kids to be like, oh, dang, that's really cool. I never thought about that. This is Education Beat, getting to the heart of California schools. I'm Zadie Stavely. This week, jazzing up the classroom with music. My colleague Karen D'Souza has been covering California's expansion of arts education for EdSource and profiling different art teachers. She wrote about Guillermo Tejeda recently. Hi, Karen. Hey, Zadie. 
Karen, how did you first hear about Guillermo Tejeda? Uh, you know, I just got lucky, uh, basically. I was in L.A. at an arts conference, and they brought him on stage to, to speak to the group briefly. I thought that he really encapsulated kind of everything I was looking for in an example of a teacher who was really passionate about the arts and, and also a real master at practicing arts integration, using the arts to teach a lot of different things in a really seamless, kaleidoscopic way that would really work with kids. After subbing for three years, Guillermo moved into a classroom of his own, first at a charter school called Anahuacalmecac Semillas del Pueblo, where he started doing music production with kids. Then he was hired by Los Angeles Unified to teach fourth grade at Wadsworth Elementary on the corner of 41st and Central Avenue. The corner of 41st and Central is considered like the opening of what was called the Jazz Corridor. There was a lot of venues and jazz spaces in the 40s and 50s that helped kind of build the story of the genre. In her article, Karen writes that the Central Avenue Jazz Corridor was a cultural mecca, the heart of the African-American community in the city. At a time when most of the country was rigidly segregated, she writes, it was also something of an oasis, a place where people of all races and classes came together over music. Jazz luminaries like Charlie Parker, Miles Davis, Duke Ellington, Billie Holiday, and Jelly Roll Morton all played there. So when Guillermo started teaching at Wadsworth, he wanted his students to learn about the legacy of their own neighborhood. It was a, my exciting way of bringing my way of looking at the world to being like, hey, here we have kids that like have difficulty with reading and math. And I know as a teacher and as a person that grew up in a, in a hood, right, in a place that like was often considered historically marginalized, that had violence, you know, on a, on a weekly basis that was just part of our city upbringing. I know that like feeling good about where you come from and feeling good about your school and feeling good about, you know, where you sit at is a big part of how you learn. So day one, I brought in jazz and brought in John Coltrane and brought in my, my guitar. I talked about, like, hey, guys, we're, we're, we're learning in a place where people literally had to invent the music as they went sometimes. Experts say music education enhances both math and reading for kids. Guillermo says learning about music history and getting to play and create their own music can also help children sharpen their sense of identity, their sense of belonging, which is important for kids to be able to learn. As a teacher, I found that like before I teach math or English or sentence syntax or or how to, you know, isolate the variable, whatever it is, it's like if we don't teach reaching in and confidence and, 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 and teaching to, to the person. We can't get to the other materials. Karen, what stood out to you most about Guillermo's story? I guess that um, in some ways, the, the rollout of Prop 28 is looking for people who are passionate about teaching the arts and also passionate about education. And it occurred to me that there actually probably are lots of teachers already teaching who have some background in the arts, one kind or another. Why not just harness their abilities, was my thought. So, Karen, with Proposition 28, you know, expanding arts education in California, we need more teachers with arts experience, right? It's a big problem, right? For, for decades, uh, California had um, arts teachers in the classroom teaching the arts just like teaching anything else, math or science. 
But over time, really um, in the aftermath of Prop 13, the schools have really gotten cut to the bone. And so we've lost a lot of those folks teaching the arts. But I mean, I think many people believe they're still here, right? They're still here in California. They're just not teaching in the schools, some of whom are like Guillermo. So there probably are people teaching PE who actually love dance or teaching English who maybe really love Shakespeare, right? So if there's some way to sort of let them come back to their initial passion, that would be ideal. But there are a lot of, I mean, there's many different pathways that will hopefully help fill the gap. How many new arts teachers do we need? Well, it's interesting because there's there's varying opinions about this, but I think uh, a number you hear a lot is about 15,000 uh, part-time and full-time. Some of it kind of depends on enrollment, how many kids are there. And that's, you know, kind of a moving target with declining enrollment, but 15,000 is a good working estimate. Guillermo worked for three years as a classroom teacher, but he's still working on getting his full credential. He was working with something called a university intern permit for people who are still working on completing all the classes for their credential. And it's a temporary fix. You can't use that forever. He's currently taking time off from the classroom to spend time with his baby daughter and work on his music. He says the state needs to make it easier to get a teaching credential. There's so many beautiful people who like need just to be able to get there quicker because it's a really hard path. It's, it's just very difficult to even you know, keep the lights on. And so to see teachers who are really are, are about the kids and are about the community and have their hearts out there, but they can't make it to that 10 o'clock class or they can't, you know, afford that, whatever it is, you know, the, the various tests that we are, are asked to pay for, um, I feel like we really need to jump on the ball at helping teachers become teachers because it's not easy. Karen, what can you tell us about this? Are there plans in the works to find alternative pathways for people to become teachers and specifically art teachers? Yeah, there's a lot of energy right now towards alternative pathways, um, one of which is like having an undergraduate arts teaching credential so that if you know early on, you know, you can come with you can have that right out of the gate. There's also talk. And it was a proposal in the governor's budget of expanding CTE, which is career technical education, which traditionally would have been secondary students. There's talk of a new pathway expanding that to include elementary. Now, there are people on, on both sides of that question in terms of uh, teacher preparedness. Would a working artist necessarily be prepared to be an educator as well? Are there developmental things that they wouldn't know or things about literacy or numeracy? Those are kind of open questions. On the other hand, the notion is, you know, we don't have enough arts teachers. Um, so this would be kind of an easy way to bring those people into the classroom. One pathway is this career technical education credential. Can you explain what that is? Yeah. So traditionally, that would have started out like for older kids, like in high school. When a lot of people think about CTE, they might think about automotive or agricultural, these kind of traditional trades and crafts. In recent years, that has also been viable. A lot of things that would be in the arts, uh, media arts, video arts, digital editing, broadcast uh, video, like lots of skills of that sort. And the notion that those pathways already exist. But the notion now is whether or not it would be a good idea to expand that to elementary. So for now, that CTE credential cannot be used in elementary school. And that's something of a of a barrier. That is something of a barrier. I mean, I've definitely spoken to people who, you know, they can teach for two years or three years, I think, on uh, emergency credentials, subsidiary credentials, but they can't teach permanently. What does the new proposal from the governor say? What the governor did in his budget was call on people to explore the option. The 
Commission on Teacher Credentialing to explore how to expand that credential into elementary school. It doesn't have any timeline. It doesn't really have any details, but it is the getting the ball rolling step on seeing if that would be something that could work out. Okay. And what are some of the two different sides of uh, on the two different perspectives? Well, there are definitely traditionalists who prefer that we stick with credentialing teachers the way we always have, that anybody in the classroom should have um, a traditional teacher credential, and that in some ways an expanding CTE would be an alternative that might undercut the gravitas we expect to have of teachers in the classroom on aspects of education outside the arts. Specifically right now, coming out of the pandemic, we really can't find teachers, we can't find bus drivers, we can't find cafeteria workers. If there are lots of artists who are really passionate about teaching the arts in the classroom, maybe it behooves us to to help these people find their way into the classroom. If they need extra training, why don't we provide them with that training as opposed to having that be a barrier for them to start? Where are we right now, Karen, in expanding the arts? I know this is the first year with the new funding stream. Have most schools started something new or are people kind of waiting for a few years to start? Most people are doing kind of a wait and see. Not everyone, of course. Some people, especially districts and schools who already had a relatively robust arts program, if you get new money, it's easy to expand because you know what you're doing and what you'd like to do. Other people, not so much. I mean, they don't have that expertise in-house anymore. And as I said, they've got so many other balls in the air that this is a hard extra thing to add. So it's a real mixed bag. Some people are up and running. Bakersfield would be an example of someone. I think they've hired eight new teachers. So other places are just waiting to see, like, what 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 are the rules exactly? The money hasn't really landed either. I think it starts to land next month in school. So some people are like, let, let me see the money, and then I'll, I'll see what I'm going to do with it. Even though he's not in the classroom, Guillermo is still working in music education. He's developing music workshops for kindergarten through eighth grade. He has students analyzing cumbia beats or graphing the volume of different instruments they hear in a particular piece of music. And he also has a lesson for students to create their own tracks, complete with sounds they record at home. It's all about helping kids feel like they belong. How do we use music as a way to feel good and to be mind ready for learning, right? And to be able to to come to the classroom and know that like it's going to be a musical and joyous space um, every day. And that that's a space that we help co-construct with our students. For Guillermo, music education all comes back to those lessons from his grandfather. He never taught him to read music or lectured him on what the music meant. It was like, hold the instrument to your stomach. So when you play the the, the note and you sing what you're singing, you memorize it. And that was music. And I teach that to my students today. Internalize what we're talking about so you have meaning in it. You You make meaning in your own way. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Education Beat. Getting to the Heart of California Schools, a production of EdSource. You can find Karen's story at edsource.org. Special thanks to our guest, Guillermo Tejeda, and reporter Karen D'Souza. Our CEO is Ann Vasquez. Our theme music is from Blue Dot Sessions. This episode was brought to you by the Heller Foundation and the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation. I'm Zadie Stavely. Join us next week and subscribe so you won't miss an episode. <laughs>